Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Now, as we begin our study today, I want to tell you that Tom Long, uh, the wonderful um, professor of preaching at Candler School of Theology at Emory University, years ago he said he was going through this, this city on his circuit, you know, making travel, he and his wife, and they were in this motel, and he went into this elevator in the hotel, and in the hotel elevator, he found this handwritten notice that had been taped to the inside of the elevator, and it said, party tonight, 8 o'clock p.m., room 210, and he thought, what in the world is this? And he began to think about what in the world could have been going on in room 210 at 8 o'clock. So he wrote about it. And I want you to listen to his reflection. He said, I could hardly picture who would throw such a party and and for what reason. But I imagined that at 8 o'clock, room 210 would be filled with an unlikely assortment of people. Sales reps seeking a little relief from the tedium of the road. A vacationing couple tired of sightseeing, a man stopping for a bit of rest on a long journey, a few inquisitive and wary motel employees, maybe some young people who had slipped out of their parents' rooms, anxiously curious about what was happening in room 210. Alas, Long wrote, the sign soon came down. It was replaced by a typewritten statement from the motel staff explaining that the original notice was a hoax. That made sense, of course. But in a way, it was too bad. Yeah. For a brief moment, we, we were tantalized by the possibility that there just might be a party somewhere going on to which all were invited. A party where it didn't make much difference who we were when we walked in the door or what motivated us to come. A party we could come to out of boredom, out of loneliness, responsibility, eagerness to be in fellowship, or just simply to see what was happening. A party where it didn't matter nearly as much what got us in the door as much as what happened to us when we arrived. I think about that story because the reality is there is a party just like that and there's a name for it where it doesn't matter so much what got you in the door as much as it matters what happens to you when you arrive. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called this existence, this this way of life existing in this world right here in a way that brings meaning and purpose to life, where all are welcome and included, and where we share in the grace of God every day, where we, where we eat like this messianic table of grace with one another and for one another every day of our lives. The kingdom of God, the kingdom, by the way, that Jesus prayed would come on earth 
as it is in heaven. And the church is intended to be a visible expression of that kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Where it really doesn't matter who you were before you walked in the door. It really doesn't matter what you did. Where it doesn't matter if you have much or don't have anything, if you're healthy or if you're weak, if you're old or if you're young. It doesn't matter even who who you voted for in the last election. But what matters most is when we gather here, we're in new space. We're in we're in new territory because we belong to a new humanity that operates and exists in a different kind of way right here on earth as it is in heaven. And the trouble with that is you and I know that at our core level, the church is intended to be something like that, right? That's how it was set up. That's why it was set up. But the trouble is we have created such an obstacle for belonging that it keeps those who long to belong the most outside the expressions or experiences of church or or religion or or faith. We've set up this pathway and said, at least for the last four to 500 years, that here's how you belong. And we've said this to a belonging, weary world, a world weary to belong. We've said, here's how you belong. Believe, behave, then belong. And we've said, if you believe the right things and you behave in the right ways, well then, okay, you can belong. The trouble with that order of things is that it's the direct opposite pathway than the pathway that Jesus established. The way Jesus established this kingdom in which all are welcome to belong is he began with belonging. He began by entering into relationships with people. He began by entering relationships with people and then inviting them to belong to a new kind of way of life. And in that belonging, he demonstrated to them a way to behave that led them to believe. He came to those who were imperfect people and who had unfinished stories, and he invited them to belong to something bigger than their own story. And in inviting them to belong to something bigger than themselves, he showed them a way to behave, to live, to operate in this life that cultivated a belief that emerged out of it. So the great reversal that I've been talking about here that the, that's been used in language elsewhere is a reversal from believe, behave, belong to belong, behave, believe. And last week we spent most of our time talking about the belong part. And I want to move to the middle word there, the behave word, Today, I want us to talk a little bit further and develop a little bit more of what I'm calling today the Jesus pattern of belonging. The Jesus pattern of belonging. So for many years now, you've heard me say things, you've heard me say a lot of things, but you've heard me say something like this. Jesus meets you where you are, but loves you too much to leave you there. That means no matter what kind of mess you've gotten into or how deep the wound is or how different you may feel from everybody else who is around you and looks and operates differently than you or your fans looked or operated, there is a truth about this, that Jesus meets you where you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there. So what I want to talk about for just a minute is the Jesus pattern. 
And it goes a little something like this. That first, he will he'll call a person to belong to a new way of life. But then he'll demonstrate for them what he expects from them. He'll demonstrate for them what he expects from them. And then he sends them to practice new behaviors of belonging. All right, so we'll leave that up there for just a moment in case you're, you're following along, taking notes. It's the Jesus pattern. He invites you to be a part, to belong to a new way of life. In fact, when this whole thing began, you know that we were not called Christians at first. We were known as people of the way. Because Jesus demonstrated a new way to exist with one another, a new way to think about who your neighbor is, a new way to think about how to interact with your enemy even, a new way to exist in the world. And that new way means to come along with Jesus and watch him as he demonstrates for you what he expects from you. Let me explain what I mean by that. So these these original followers begin to follow Jesus around. They spend some considerable time with him. And over the course of at least three years, as they belong to him or belong with him, they see him behaving in ways that are so radically different than the ways that other religious leaders, other rabbis, other influential persons have behaved. And they see him not choose the best seat at the table. They, they see him demonstrate what he means when he says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. They, they watch him shepherd, watch this, the, uh, the collective consciousness of the entire group by making sure that at the center of their consciousness, he brought people who had been shoved to the outskirts of the consciousness of society. And those who had been marginalized by the super-religious those who had been cast away by the super lawful. And in many ways, Jesus brought to the center of their consciousness those who had been forgotten by society, but who had never been forgotten by God. So he brings children who are always cast away. Get these kids away. We have more important things to do. And Jesus says, suffer not the little children to come to me, but bring them for such is the kingdom of heaven. He brings to the center of their consciousness from the margin, from the edges, Women, and not just the women of the big stories that we all know, like the woman caught in adultery or the woman uh, at the well, or, but, but, the, but all women. He gets involved in a sibling conflict between two sisters. You know why? They mattered to him, and, and they had value in his eyes, and, and they took part in his ministry. In fact, his first revealing of his resurrected body was to women because he was bringing to the center of the consciousness of people those who had been pushed to the edge. He even brought a new way of behaving with strangers. Those who were even ethnically different than themselves he affirmed and loved and welcomed them. Those who were religiously different than themselves, even people of other faiths that were not part of the religion of Jesus. And he affirmed the faith that was in the Syrophoenician woman. He affirmed the faith in people who did not already assent to his own religion. And in so doing, what he's doing is he is demonstrating for them what he expects from them. And by them... I mean us. 
Because along the way, as Jesus welcomes them and, and, and invites them to belong to a, a new kind of way of life, and as he demonstrates for them what he expects from them, he does something else radically different than what they had expected. He then calls them to go do the same. Uh, greater works than these, even, you shall do in my name. To do the exact same work and in so doing, imitate the very living, breathing, resurrected Christ in our midst. And in so demonstrating behaviors that have emerged out of our sense of belonging, well, they began to believe. I mean, the more Jesus sent them into towns and, and said, look, go and heal the sick, bring sight to the blind, hey, proclaim good news to the captive, release to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, uh, good news to the poor, let the oppressed go free, and he charges them with doing that, and then when they go do it, and, and all those things are literally physically performed, right? Physically healed the sick, physically brought sight to the blind, but they are also powerful symbols. All those who were sick in the heart and soul and mind had suddenly a hope they never knew they had before. All those who were blind because they had refused to see how wide God's love is for this magnificent world that God so loves that he gives his only begotten son and they, they heal people of their spiritual blindness. And so in so doing, as these disciples who have now belonged to a new way, they are now behaving in ways and they're watching the results of those behaviors. And as they're watching, it, it changes how they see things. It changes the disciples and, and, it, and reaffirms what they actually believe because they're behaving their way toward belief. So in the book that I mentioned last week, Christianity After Religion, Diana Butler Bass puts it this way. She says, the early community that followed Jesus was a community of practice. And Jesus' followers did not sit around a fire and listen to lectures on Christian theology. They listened to stories that taught them how to act toward one another, what to do in the world. Catch that word, what to do, how to behave, what to do in the world. They healed people, offered hospitality, prayed together, challenged traditional practices and rituals, ministered to the sick, comforted the grieving, they fasted and forgave. These actions, oh, they induced wonder, gave them courage, empowered hope, and opened up a new vision of God. By doing things together, they began to see differently. Beloved, this is what this whole series is about. By belonging in an unjudgmental, non-condemning way with one another, in the middle of our imperfection and unfinished story, by belonging together, we deliberately behave in ways that he, he taught us to behave to live, to serve, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. And in so doing, we see the result of that kind of life. And that kind of life leads us to believe that this way has been the way the whole way. When he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one gets to the Father but through me, this is what he's talking about. My way, my way of existing in this world is your example. So go do it. Belong behave 
believe. But what I love about the gospel stories is that it's never that clean. I mean, it's messy. This book is filled with messy stories of messy people just like me. That's why I love it. For example, so here are these, these guys and they're following Jesus and he's starting to give them behaviors to go imitate or emulate so that on their way, belief emerges. And he, so he's got a new practice in the, the Gospel of Luke. He begins a new practice where he starts to send some of his disciples ahead of him to the city or town where he's going to go. And as they do, now it's in their hands. They have the responsibility of prepping the town. And they go in and they, they look for accommodations. They go in and talk about this good news that's coming. Hey, bring out the sick, the poor, those who are longing for hope because the Messiah has come and, and you're going to want to be a part of this. And they're owning this message that they had just recently been involved with because now they have the responsibility for it. So now they're going into the town and they're prepping the town and they're trying to convey to the town this glorious image, this, this good news that hope has come, that all are welcome, that there's a party in room 210 at 8 o'clock and you can come. Yet they come to, to a Samaritan town. <laughs> That's hilarious. They come to one town and the Samaritan village doesn't let them in. Like, nope, uh, not interested. And they literally turned them away. And these disciples <laughs> who were sent there to convey this beautiful message of inclusion and love and hope and salvation, forgiveness of sins, you know, they come back to tell Jesus that they've been turned away. And this is what Luke says, how it happened. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Isn't that great? I mean, <laughs> these guys have now belonged to a community in which imperfection and impatience and stubbornness is all welcome at first because they're behaving their way out. But as they're behaving their way out, they still stumble. They still stumble, like me and like you. There's never a straight line to transformation. Sometimes real transformation of the heart takes time. The transformation of the heart is not an overnight project. It takes time which is why this belong, behave, belief pattern has to remain because we have to be patient with those in our community who may actually op give us an opportunity, who may actually give us the chance. They may come and, and, and roll the dice on us. And in so doing, we have to be patient because we know true transformation takes time, not just with outsiders trying to get in, but with insiders who fail routinely. So sometimes transformation takes time, but here's the beautiful thing. And, and I, I experienced this in my own personal, private journey with Christ. The longer you belong, the longer you belong, the more transformation is possible. The longer I am with him, the longer I gaze upon how perfect and how compassionate and merciful. When I think about how inclusive Jesus is, and when I'm spending time with him, and I consider the loveliness of his patience with me, here's what happens. I suddenly become acutely aware of the absence of that kind of loveliness in me. And to the point where I begin to despise it, I hate not having it. 
And in hating not having it, I long for it. And in wanting it, longing for it, I ask for it. And slowly I have to put aside my old patterns of resistance to open up new patterns that are more Christ-like. So sometimes real transformation takes a while. And honestly, it's an everyday journey because each day there has to be an encounter in which we are made aware of our patterns, of our sins, where we are confronted by all the things in us that are unchristly so that those can melt away and we may become more Christ-like day by day. I think this is what the, the passage was all about that was read by Glenn and by Adam a little while ago. In 2 Corinthians, we're, we're, we're talking, not quite yet uh, on the scripture, but let me set it up for a minute. We're talking Paul. And Paul is talking to the, to the church at Corinth. And what he's doing is he's, he's saying, look, I want to explain to you what it means to belong to this new community. I'm paraphrasing him now. But th- there's a new humanity here. The old has passed and there's something brand new. And to help them understand what that meant, he used an example that they would be familiar with. He used the example of Moses. Several hundred years prior, he said, you know, remember when Moses went up the mountain? And he went up the mountain and he was with God. And and because he was with God, he started to shine in his face. And they came down and his shining was so overwhelming that it kind of overwhelmed the people. So they literally, they put a veil over his face so that he would not overwhelm the people with his radiance, right? His Shekinah, his holy suntan. But then he'd go back up and he'd take the mask off and he would radiate more with God and come back down and put it on to hide so as to not overwhelm. In time, what Exodus 34 reveals is that he continued to hide his face, not because he continued to shine, but he began to hide his face because the radiance was starting to fade away. And he wanted to hide the disappearing of the radiance, which is exactly what you and I do, right? We mask ourselves. And a mask in this context, a veil is anything that masks true belonging. And so in the context of that, Paul picks up and he says in verse number 15, indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil, a mask, lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. This is absolutely gorgeous. To this day, a mask is, is over their minds. And I want you to think this morning as a mask being, or a veil being anything that keeps us from truly living in our identity as those who belong with Christ. So our mask can be sin. A mask can be our patterns of pride and deceit and envy. It could be patterns of well, greed and fear or gluttony, always needing more and more. It could be patterns of lust for power or control, or it could be sloth. During a pandemic, maybe we have begun to learn to lay back more than we should have learned, and maybe our patterns are anger at the way things are. But the text says that when we turn to Christ, turning is a behavior. To turn to Christ requires an action on our part. It requires a daily turning to where we turn away from the thing that is taking us one direction. And when it says we turn toward the Lord, the mask is removed. 
Notice that line, the mask is removed. It doesn't say that we remove the mask. We say, it says we turn to Christ and in our turning, in our deliberate decision daily to behave in such a way as to take action and turn to the Lord in that deliberate activity, the mask is removed and there is this vulnerability and there is this spirit of belonging. But the, the text continues. It continues in verse 17 now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed, changed, metamorphosis, right? We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. When I say that sometimes real transformation takes time, that's what I'm talking about. That if we truly do belong in Christ, then in our belonging, there are some things that we ought to do. And in our doing, in our behaving, when we turn to Christ, anything we do to daily turn to Christ puts us in a posture where Christ will then remove the veil and the text says, will look upon us and we will look upon him as if looking in a mirror because we are being transformed, as the text says, from one degree of glory to the next. That means a little bit at a time. That every day that we attempt to turn to Christ, there is a melting away of everything that is unchristly and there is a forming, a forging, a building up, a becoming of something that is Christ-like to the point that the text says when Christ looks at us, Eventually, it becomes as if he is looking in a mirror. Could anything be more beautiful than that? Could anything be more hopeful to people who have thought that we not only can't belong, but we're on the outside of this whole paradigm altogether? But we can belong. And in our belonging, he's patient with us to behave our way. And as we notice how patient he is and how transformation takes place a little bit at a time, we recognize, I really believe in this belong, behave, believe. This is why Richard Rohr says it this way. We don't, we don't think ourselves into new ways of living. <laughs> we live ourselves into new ways of thinking. The first disciples, their minds changed, not because Jesus presented them with a proposition to consider. They changed because he said, follow me, and they followed. And in following, they saw, I cannot deny this man anymore. That, that brings us to a moment where I want to share a little bit from a pastor's heart about what this pandemic is doing to people who belong. Can I ask you a question? What has the pandemic done to your behavior pattern? To behavior patterns. When we began this journey about eight months ago or so, we had to go to online worship and we had to go remotely. And we've been worshiping now. We've had the opportunity to worship now in person for six weeks. This is our sixth Sunday. And as we have learned, every week we are averaging about 300 average across those six, about 300, a little more than 300 people, which means it's one-third of our pre-COVID attendance is here. Now, we have a lot of folks who are worshiping remotely because they have sincere um, COVID concerns, sincere concerns that keep them worshiping at home, which is why we are doubling down always our efforts to make sure that you can connect in any way that you possibly can. But here's something I also know. There are a lot of folks who aren't afraid of COVID at all. 
at all. I'm sorry, there's folks who, we all hate wearing the mask. None of us. I've never met one person who, who likes to wear the mask, right? That'd be, that'd be kind of crazy. Uh, but I know a lot of folks, COVID doesn't concern them a bit. They're partying, room 210, 8 o'clock. They're going to restaurants anytime they want to. They're playing the sports. They're getting together as if it has never existed. And they're not here. Now, I don't talk this way too often. But when I do, it's because it's a part of my heart that I want to share as your pastor. If you're concerned for COVID, I want you to stay home and I want you to stay safe. If you come here, I want you to wear masks and keep each other safe. But if on Sundays you're not here because there's a better offer somewhere, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. What has COVID done to change the pattern of behavior? Because until we can get in the same space where we are able to let iron sharpen iron, well, something happens to us. I mean, are you doing what we did at the very beginning? Are you worshiping at home? I hope so. I mean, at the beginning, we had people sending pictures of, hey, I got my communion together, got the kids, we lit the candle, we're ready, we meet at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings in our living room, we're doing our thing. How's it going? Because I have been asking you all along to make sure you don't let up on a rhythm of every week turning your attention to Christ. And I don't care if it's on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Tuesday afternoon, but a deliberate time where you say, in this space, nothing interferes. And it's me and it's the Lord and it's my own. All right? Because if we're not mindful of the behavioral patterns that we get into, then here's what happens. You behave in a way that reflects who you belong to. I mean, belonging shapes how you behave so the adverse or the reverse of that is if you're behaving a particular way don't get me wrong I mean don't make no mistake about it it is revealing something about what you think you belong to yeah and I know I mean I know well, I'm not gonna come to church until well until you know I don't have to wear masks I just don't like wearing masks you know it gets lipstick on the inside and I don't you know I just okay I know I get it but I, I, would, I would respectfully implore you to make that argument with places on this planet where they would suffer um, persecution and even death to go to worship. Where they risk life and limb, and if you were to say to them, hey, we got a place for you to worship, and all you got to do is wash your hands or wear a mask, you could not contain the numbers who would come in some places in the planet right now. Your behavior reveals what you think about you, what you belong to. And I'm thinking about this as I think about eagles. You didn't see that coming, did you? The bird, not the band. And I know the time has passed, but I'm, I'm listening. I've got, uh, I got pent-up COVID soapbox building up here. Eagles. Eagles are some of the most amazing creatures on the planet. Uh, the bald eagle, for example, has the capacity to see with amazing vision. A bald eagle can be above the water, one mile above the water, and see a fish swimming underneath. Do you know that that same eagle can see two miles away the movement of a rabbit? Two miles! 
Do you know that the, the golden eagle has been clocked at 200 miles an hour in a nosedive? Do you know that the talons of a bald eagle are so strong they have a thousand pounds per square inch? Magnificent animals. But they're meant to soar above the earth. They're majestic animals. Pride and dignity, so much so that the scriptures themselves lift up the eagle as an example of strength and pride. But something happens every once in a while when an eagle is injured. Sometimes maybe an eagle is shot in the wing or gets in a fight and is hurt. Maybe it's sick. And for a while, it'll begin to walk on the ground and will no longer soar in the air. It'll begin to not behave like an eagle. It'll walk down where the turkeys run. It'll cluck around with chickens. And it'll scavenge for food rather than hunt the food. And the talons will become dull and their muscle tissue becomes weak. And all they can do is walk around. They belong in the sky. But they walk with the turkeys and cluck with the chickens. And I know that somebody who is listening to me today understands what it feels like to look up and realize this is not where I belong. I was meant to soar. I, would, I belong to something so powerful. I belong to a new humanity meant to exist in this world radically different than anyone else in this world. And yet I am behaving in such a way as if it demonstrates that I not only don't belong to that kind of new humanity, but somehow I'm running with turkeys and clucking with chickens. Well, something else happens with those eagles when they're sick. It's been recorded that sometimes when an eagle is seen below injured or sick and beginning to scavenge and become weak and not acting like an eagle, the other eagles will begin to soar above them circling above them, screeching, singing to them screeches of encouragement and dropping bits of food down, nurturing them from above. And as they eat, they begin to sharpen their talons upon nearby rocks and trees. And as their strength is regained, they begin to remember what it feels like to move like an eagle and they take off and return to the sky. And if you hear nothing else here today, just hear me screeching to you, my beloved sisters and brothers. We are meant to behave in a way that demonstrates who we belong to. And when we choose to turn from our ways and turn to Christ, something happens, a veil that has separated us, that has disguised us. That's better. That's not even my notes. That's just... I, a veil that disguises. I can't tell who some of you people are with your masks on. The trouble is, sometimes we go through life masked up like a turkey and a chicken, and we're running and clucking around. And in reality, Christ wants us to turn to him so he can remove the disguise. And we might be able to, in some way, remember what it looks like to act like him, to love like him, to forgive like him, to serve like him, to give like him, to be like him. Well, that's what it means to behave like you belong to something. And maybe you're hearing that today and you're like, okay, I'm in, but I don't know what to do about it. Well, here's what you do about it. 
you simply recognize that you're not enough on your own. That's where it begins. And you recognize that you have this invitation to belong to something that you didn't create and you can't stop it. God is crazy about you and there's nothing you can do about that except to yield to it. Say, God, I don't know why, I don't even know where it started, but I began putting on masks, veils that have disguised me and I look up suddenly and I'm running with turkeys and clucking with chickens and I belong with you. If you turn to him, even right now, he will remove that mask that veil and you will be transformed along with the rest of us a little bit at a time so pray something like this God I yield myself to you I hear about the love of Jesus and I want it I know my own sin and I confess it and I don't want to walk in that way anymore so here I am that's it that's it And if you prayed that prayer, whether you're in here or you're in the Family Life Center or you're at home, he heard you. And it it counts. So we want you to tell somebody about that. So after this service, we want you to let somebody know that you're beginning this prayer of transformation. In fact, right in the sanctuary, uh, Glenn will be here and David White, they're making their way now even as our ushers are preparing to make their way to the fronts of the pews for our our dismissal. In the Family Life Center, Adam, Courtney, and uh, Michael McCuller will meet you over to your left. And they'll talk to you and listen to you. And they'll pray with you. And if you're at home, we want you to email us at connect at jcbc.org. Because this is a conversation that doesn't have to end when the TV or the computer shuts down, right? It never ends. So now I I invite you to act, to do, to go, to be. And by so doing, I'm asking you to stand to your feet as we prepare to go into this world, both here in the sanctuary and in the Family Life Center to prepare for our benediction. Because now is when we go and scatter into our world and live in a way that demonstrates we actually believe that we belong. And in our belongingness, others may see something they want more of. So wherever you go from this place, may Christ go before you to prepare your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear to encourage you one step forward at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly may Christ go in you, transforming you a little bit at a time from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. Go in peace.